Turn with me now in the Word of God, please, to James. James chapter number 5. We have studied on Wednesday nights the topic of prayer, and we have done it every Wednesday night for the last several months, and we will continue this topic uh, this evening, the topic of prayer. And if you remember last Wednesday night, we looked at James chapter 5, and we started in verse number 13. I, I invite you to turn your attention there, and I preached through verse 13. Uh, but I'd like to read that and then continue through the passage uh, and expound on other verses in this passage. Look at uh, James chapter 5, verse number 13. The Bible says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Listen to this. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse number 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he be and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then the Bible says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this scripture reading. We thank you that this is a supernatural book, and you are an amazing God. And I pray that as we look into this book, we will apply what we hear from this book and from your Holy Spirit. And I pray that it would go forth with authority, as thus saith the Lord. I pray that we would leave this place changed that we would be perfected, that we would be fed, that we would be growing in the process of sanctification. So make us more like Christ for having come to this place tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the idea of prayer is replete in verses 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, even 18. You find in verse 13 the idea of any afflicted, and we studied last time, that was the idea of being in trouble, uh, serious trouble. Uh, the, the same concept is mentioned in verse number 10, the idea of suffering, affliction. So is anybody afflicted in serious trouble, suffering, affliction, let him pray. So it speaks of individual prayer. Uh, verse number 14, the idea of sick people praying, and, and specifically the elders of the church praying. And so it, it, verse 13 calls Afflicted people to pray, individuals to pray is the idea. Then uh, verse uh, 14, the elders to be praying. Uh, you find friends to be praying in verse number 16. It says pray one for another. And then even Elias in verse number 17 is called, uh, it, we have an example here, an illustration here of his prayer life. And so these verses have to do with this topic that we've been studying for several Wednesday nights, the topic of prayer. So consider with me verse 14. Is any sick among you? The question is posed. The answer is, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And notice this, verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall rise him up, shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, these two verses are somewhat controversial. Some people 
uh, have different perspectives on these two verses. Some people who have an allegorical interpretation to Scripture try to uh, associate this with uh, a spiritual healing, and so they uh, dismiss these verses as not pertaining to a physical healing. Uh, so, twice in my ministry, uh, uh, this has taken place. Twice. Where somebody in the congregation was sick. And it says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Twice that happened, where two people in the congregation at different times, these two events are separated by a period of a couple years, came to me as the pastor and said, Pastor, I'm sick. I am really, really sick. I am facing uh, both situations were cancer. And so I'm calling for the elders of the church. And I would like them, it's the idea of united prayer, them to pray over me, the sick one. And I would like to be anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. Because... I know, verse 15, that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. They, at two different times, have come to the pastor and, and men of the church laid hands on these individuals and, and we prayed and we anointed them with oil. Can I tell you, as we've studied prayer over the last several weeks, uh, one of the major components to biblical prayer is Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. In, in one of these situations uh, that I am referring to, where an individual, and by the way, that's what, that's, that's what predicates this whole concept, that somebody in the congregation calls for the elders of the church. This is not something that the church leadership advertises. And by the way, this is not something that the Bible commands to be done in public in front of people. Not, that's not the way I've led it in the past. It, it was a private thing. But, but the point is, His will be done. And in these two situations, one of those individuals, God, chose, because of the, the prayer of faith, God chose to heal that person. That person facing very, very painful cancer, very difficult cancer, is still alive today and, 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 and is free from cancer. And this has been many years ago. And yet another, the other one that, that called for the elders of the church, the Lord took them home. The, the cancer took their body. And, and so the idea here is that the elders would pray, and it is not, uh, it is not a, a Benny Hinn healing display. It has nothing to do with blowing on people. It has nothing to do with taking your coat off and, and selling tickets to an arena and winging your coat at people. You don't need security guards to catch people. Nobody is slain in the Spirit. All of that is money-driven and, frankly, of the devil. But these are biblical concepts. And, and, and really, the focus of these couple verses is that, is that people would be united in prayer. There's no hocus-pocus in the oil. The, the, the oil is not the healing element. There's nothing supernatural about the elders involved. But there is something supernatural about the God to whom they pray. It's the prayer of faith that shall save the sick. So, verses here that deal with prayer. And I just wanted to touch on those verses, but then spend the, the larger portion of our time on verse number 16. 
Notice verse number 16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, it's interesting in verse number 16, we know the second part of verse number 16, most of us by heart, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But I want us to consider both aspects of verse number 16. And the first part of verse 16 is an exhortation. It is a call to, to action. It tells us, verse number 16, to confess our faults one to another. It speaks of getting right with people. There is a humility involved in this. There is a honesty involved in this. Confessing your faults. And again, this passage is talking about prayer. And if we want our prayers uh, to be answered and we want them to be effective, then, then we must obey the Scripture. This specific exhortation must be obeyed. We must confess our faults. And it says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that she may be healed. Now, please remember that entire sentence because I want to unpack that sentence in the next several portions of this message. Confess your faults one to another, pray for, pray one for another that you may be healed. So, okay, so. So if I go to somebody and I confess a fault, so I have, if I have done something to offend them, there is dis, disharmony in that relationship. There are two people involved, and I want us to understand the aspects of both individuals, okay? Uh, so, so there is an individual who is confessing a fault, and, and so he's using his mouth, he's speaking, if you will. And then there is an individual who is listening, he's using his ear. And there are dangers in both areas that need to be avoided and considered. A danger in communicating or speaking your fault. There are some things, there are some motives that, that sometimes are impure. And, 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 and so our heart really matters when it comes to confessing your faults. And the point of confessing your faults one to another uh, is to lead to prayer, because it says pray one for another, and then that they might be healed, that a relationship might be restored. Uh, and, so, and so consider these things. So I want to give you some dangers to avoid in listening. In listening. So somebody comes to you, and, and, and they are going to confess some things to you. People sometimes do that to pastors, uh, and they just want the pastor to know their sinful past. And so they, he, they didn't offend him necessarily, but they're just coming to him so that they know that they've communicated to him their background. And, and so he's listening. Uh, maybe your uh, girlfriend calls you up on the phone and, and she just wants you to know who she is. And so uh, she just tells you uh, about her sinful past and she is confessing her faults. Or maybe somebody has offended you and they come to you in humility and in honesty and they, they confess these things to you. There are some things to avoid in listening. So, so if you would, for the next few moments, put yourself in the seat of the listener. Your motive needs to be right in listening. So beware of listening with speculative curiosity. Somebody says, uh, I, I just need to tell you what, what I've done and, and what my faults are and, and how I've lived. And, and so I'm going to just communicate all these things to you. And you say, hey, I want to know. 
I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really close to this person who is now dumping their sinful truck on me, if you will. I'm not super close. I'm still a little speculative about who they are and, and, and where they're going in life. But, but I'm really curious about, about what they've done. Because maybe I've done it. And, and something within me uh, is, finds it very engaging that they want to tell me some of these things about their lives. Beware of listening with speculative curiosity. If that's your motive for listening to somebody, you, if you want to be right with God, would be wise to say, please stop telling me this. This is not healthy for me spiritually. Beware of listening with not only curiosity, but beware of listening with an enthusiasm for the sake of the sordid or the sensational subjects. Uh, not only curious about them, but you know what? I have an enthusiasm for that which is, is sordid or sensational. I want to hear it. It's entertaining. It's, it's sometimes better than watching TV. We know the people on TV are just actors and none of that stuff is, is actually real. But this is a real live person and they have done this or that and they want to tell me. And I find it very interesting, very entertaining. I mean, did you hear what they did? You can't write stuff like that. And people want to listen because they find it entertaining. Not only that, but beware of listening with a basis for gossip. People say, yeah, confess your faults to me because I want to tell it to somebody else. If, if your goal is, I'm just curious about this person, so I want to hear about their transgressions. Uh, if your goal is, I am uh, just uh, enthusiastic about sordid and sensational subjects, so I want to hear their faults. If your goal is, yeah, I want to know because I want to tell somebody else, then you are, you are not helping them. Again, in, in verse 16, confessing your faults one to another pictures at least two people, a listener and a communicator. And if you are in the chair of the listener, these are things you need to beware of. Your heart sometimes initially starts out with, yeah, I want to help them, so I'm going to listen to them. But if your heart at any point transitions into, well, I am just curious, or I just love the idea of listening to sensational subjects, or I just want to communicate it to other people, these things do not please God, and you are not helping them by listening. Uh, beware of not only these, but beware of listening with a desire for leverage for later. Yeah, tell me, tell me, because if you ever hurt me or cross me, I'm going to use it against you later. And that's going on in your heart. You'd never show your hand and communicate that. But, but consider these practical concepts. I've seen in 16 years of full-time ministry these things unfold, and these things are very destructive uh, among the body of believers. People are communicating things and people are listening and they're listening with the wrong motives. So yes, we are to confess our faults one to another, but make sure that if you are the object of the confession, that your motives are pure in listening. Because their sin can affect you. You didn't do it. You're just listening to it. Remember the verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, where the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, so confessing the fault, he's been overtaken in a fault. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. 
So the idea in verse 16 is that we'll confess our faults one to another and we'll pray for one another that they might be healed. That's the idea of restoration. So ye which are spiritual, somebody's overtaken in a fault, we want to restore such a one. But the rest of the verse in Galatians 6, 1, not as famous, says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Sometimes listening to that can promote things in your heart that are dangerous. So if we're going to listen to the faults of others, be clear about what this passage says. If, if, if somebody comes to you and says, this is a problem, this is something I struggle with, your entire goal must be to have a single-minded focus to turn it into a serious matter of prayer. That's the point in verse number 16. That's the point. That, that it might promote a spiritual healing. That it might promote Christ-likeness. That, that you want to bring it to the Lord in prayer with them. You're not facilitating gossip. That you, you have no leverage motives. You literally just want them to be spiritually healed. You want to pray about this. Listening wrongly can destroy any hope of healing and can result in devastating havoc. And again, I have seen these things take place. So that's the danger in listening with impure motives. Can I give you also some dangers to avoid in, in speaking? Confess your faults one to another. Um, I remember as a teenager, a man uh, was allowed to give a testimony. And I'll never forget his testimony. The pastor didn't know what the man was going to say exactly. I think he knew some of the details. But this, I was a real young teenager, and this man, uh, probably in his mid to late 20s, maybe late 20s, and at that point had a, a young child or two, he got up and talked about what he had been saved from. And he, like, talked about it in pretty interesting detail. And when you're a young teenage boy, you're like, wow, he did that, and he uh, you know, was involved in that, and, and he's going into all this stuff that... You know, a, a testimony is important, and, and, you know, I think of people like John Newton who said of himself, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, and, and we need to understand that all of us are, are wretched before a perfectly holy God. But, but there are some things to be avoided when it comes to speaking our faults. Then I want to give you practical instruction about what this means. And, and the illustration I just gave about the fellow that gave a testimony when I was a young teenager speaks to the first danger and that is the danger of exhibitionism. Putting it all on display. Holding back nothing. Telling everybody everything. One theologian described this danger when he said this. He said that there is, listen to this, you're the person speaking. He said there is a danger in the human heart when unfettered from the direction of God's spirit that can make some kind of strange delight in telling other people bad things that they have done. There are people that when they begin to communicate sinful things, when they begin to confess their faults, they have this exhibitionism. Again, unfettered from the direction of God's Spirit, they have a strange delight in telling other people bad things that they have done. That's not spiritually healthy. That is not accomplishing the purpose of James chapter 5, verse number 16. Sometimes the reason that people tell all is because they're hoping that it resonates with you. Beware of these kinds of things. Not only the danger of 
uh, exhibitionism, but also the danger of your audience. When you are involved in confessing your faults one to another, which is a clear scriptural principle, if you are the one communicating these things, beware of your audience. You can't tell everyone everything. Uh, there are people that, I have already mentioned gossip, they, they want to know so they can tell others. It's like a, a babbling brook, if you will. It just keeps on flowing. You tell it to them and it goes to the next one and to the next one and to the next one and pretty soon, not just two or three, but dozens of people know your story. Uh, you have to beware, if you're the one speaking, you have to beware of your audience. The idea, again, in the passage is that I would communicate it to just one person and, and that person would pray about it with me for the sake of, of healing. And let me point out this danger, and that is the danger of what I have in my notes as TMI, too much information. Uh, so, and here's some specific parameters about confessing your faults or things that you might communicate to somebody else for the sake of prayer and spiritual healing. It, it, is, it is a right thing to do to confess faults that pertain to things that you said that offended somebody, so your actual words. It's a good thing to go to somebody and say, I said this, and I know it hurt your feelings, and I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. You confessed your fault to them. It's a good thing to go to somebody who saw your actions, maybe, and say, I know you saw me do this, and it was wrong. Please forgive me and, and, and seek their forgiveness. These are all good things. The thing that would be wrong, the danger of too much information, is going to people and confessing to them not just your words or your actions, but confessing to them your thoughts. That gets a lot of people in trouble, and frankly, there is no benefit in that at all. You ever had somebody come up to you and tell you that they were sorry for thinking this and this and this and this and this about you? I mean, yeah, I really, I, I, I got to be honest, I got to confess my fault to you. When I saw you for the first time, I thought you were super ugly. And uh, I, I really thought you were a nincompoop. You know, you really don't look intelligent. And uh, I, just, I just thought all these things about you. I mean, that, there's no benefit in that. Now, if you have called somebody names or you've said something that offended them or you did actions that, you know, there's a difference between words and actions and, and, and thoughts. Beware of, of these kinds of things. It is, a, it is a biblical thing to have restitution uh, one with another. And again, that's the, the major idea of verse number 16, getting right with others, confessing your faults one to another so that you can pray for one another and so that they can be spiritually healed. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 23, here's what the Bible says. And before I read it, let me just say this, that the Bible should dictate why you do what you do and why you are who you are. The Bible should dictate every relational facet of your life, a wife or a mother or a father or a husband or a child or a pastor or a parishioner or whatever. It should dictate these things. So in the idea of conflict resolution or a relationship restoration, verses like Matthew 5, 23 should dictate how I respond, how you respond. Matthew 5, 23 says this, Therefore, if, thy, uh, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift, because that's less important. The gift that you're bringing to the altar in that moment is less important. You leave thy gift there before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother 
and then come and offer thy gift. So when there is relational disharmony, listen, right after that, relational disharmony, then there needs to be confession. That's what the Bible teaches. And that, that confession brings about intercession, which is prayer, right in our passage. And then after that intercession, that brings about restoration. The, the disharmony that we started with is no longer in existence because there has been confession. They left their gift at the altar because they knew their brother had ought against them. And so they went and confessed, not things they thought, no, they confess the things they said, their, their actual actions, because that actually benefits something. And then, then there is restoration. So husbands and wives argue sometimes. Anybody want to testify? They do, and, uh, and sometimes they argue to the point that there really isn't understanding, there is just fatigue, <laughs> Sick of arguing. Uh, I don't think you're right, and, and uh, you know, vice versa. Nobody thinks each other's right. There's just a repression, if you will. And uh, when there's disharmony that leads to repression instead of acknowledgement, then the problems often will resurface. Uh, you, you've got to get to the point in this, in this uh, little... Uh, explanation here, this disharmony and then confession and then intercession and then a desire for restoration, that unfolds when there is real acknowledgement of in the confession. It's not just, okay, I'm sick of arguing, so we're going to move on. Or you have yelled at me and tried to persuade me so much that I am just so repressed by your verbal assault that, that I'm just going to concede for now because it's only a matter of time before the same issue comes back up. It, it resurfaces. Confess your faults one to another. There are dangers in listening. Make sure your heart is right if you're the one listening. And then there are dangers even in, in speaking. And make sure that you are doing this in a biblical way. Because when you do it in a biblical way, when there is disharmony, and there, there always will be, in every, because we live in a sin-cursed earth. So, so uh, with a pastor or with people or with an employer or an employer, uh, with a, a father and, and his children, with a husband and a wife, there's going to be times of disharmony. So, so let's saturate our minds with scriptural truth, with the Spirit of God, so that we respond in a way that fosters prayer, that brings two people together and says, hey, let's pray about this now. And they, they get up from that prayer sincere. You know, that intercession follows the confession. So the confession was sincere, and then the intercession begins, and then there is real restoration when they move from that place. That's the exhortation in verse number 16. And those are biblical suggestions concerning how it is to be done in a way that really fosters a spiritual healing. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. And then the last part of the verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The idea of effectual is the idea of effective or powerful. Uh, fervent is the idea of, of zeal in prayer. Prayer is obviously petitioning and praising and communicating with God. Notice the little phrase, righteous man. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You can pray with what seems to be power and levels of fervency or urgency, but it's only the prayer of a righteous man that avails much. 
And remember, James here is writing, and he is speaking to the redeemed, those that have been ransomed, those that have been purchased by the blood of Christ. James chapter 1, verse number 18 talks about that he's writing to the righteous ones, the ones that have been born again of his own, uh, of his own will, begot he us with the word of truth. So he's writing to those that have been begotten, if you will, born again. So he's writing to righteous people. He's writing to those that are robed in the righteousness of Christ. And can I say that, that saved people, righteous people, have a disdain for sin? Their sin, we're all sinners. We, if we're saved, uh, we, we understand that, that we have to die daily, like Paul said. We have to fight the lusts of the flesh. We have to put on the new man, Ephesians chapter 5, and, and put off the old man. That's a part of our sanctification. Uh, put on, Ephesians 6, the spiritual you know, warfare, the, 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 the armor, the whole armor of God. But, but the righteous man, those that are robed in the righteousness of Christ, they, they fight that battle and they don't want to be enslaved to sin and they, they desire to take the way of escape and they understand that they don't have to be enslaved to sin in this life, that there is victory in Jesus and, and they don't like sin. Remember, and I've quoted many times and I want to present it in a way that I haven't expounded on before. Psalm 66, 18, you know the verse. where the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The thing I've never really done before is read you the next several verses. We're talking about righteous people, robed in the righteousness of Christ. We want effective and fervent prayer. We want it to avail much. So we've got to make sure that we are free from sin. We're not harboring sin in our heart. The idea of regarding iniquity is the idea of cherishing sin in our heart. So we want to pray like Paul prayed. We want to pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We want to intercede on behalf of others. We want to get a hold of God. We want to be in his throne room. So we cannot cherish sin in our heart because the Lord will not hear us. So the psalmist says this in verse 19, but verily God hath heard me. In other words, the psalmist did not cherish sin in his heart. Because God heard him. He had, the, the, the Bible goes on, the psalmist says, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. He's bragging on God. God answered his prayer. Verse number 20, the psalmist says, Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. I didn't cherish sin. And as a result, God answered my prayer. That's what the psalmist said. Confess your faults. Verse 16 starts out with dealing with sin. So we get right with other people and we pray with them and we are healed, spiritually speaking. And as a result, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We deal with sin issues that we have with other people for the sake of, at least in part, having effective prayer. And remember, James is the book that talks about the double-minded man. The, the person that may confess their sin but is really still holding on to it, really still loves it. They go through this routine of, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore, but really in their heart they, they know they're going to do it. And they're they're double-minded, they're, they're torn, if you will. It's very difficult to sincerely ask God to forgive you for sin and then in your heart still cherish it. People say, forgive me for this, but then they say, I can't wait to do it again. I like the way one theologian said it. He said, the hypocrite can leave their sin, but still love it. 
but the holy person leaves their sin and loathes it. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not uh, saying, oh, forgive me for this, but I can't wait to do it again. Uh, saying, I, I have disdain for this. I loathe it. I, I want to be right with God. I don't want uh, my prayers to be hindered. The righteous man endeavors to confess and forsakes in Proverbs 28. This is the recipe for effective prayer. Confessing your faults and praying together for the sake of being healed for the sake of effective prayer. This is a biblical recipe. The disciple said to the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. This is teaching from Scripture concerning biblical prayer. Would you bow with me, please?